The views expressed in the following program do not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB. Live from the WGBB studios in Merrick, New York, this is Sports Talk New York. Good evening. Welcome to Sports Talk New York. We are coming to you live from the WGBB studios on beautiful Long Island. Today is Sunday, May the 15th, 2022. My name is Tony Stabile. I will be taking you through hour two of our program. We've got Mr. Brian Graves on the other side of the glass. We've got a great show lined up for you guys. Tonight we are going to be uh, talking New York Jets football after their big, huge draft. First round, second round, third round. They had a great draft. Uh, so we are going to be talking to um, AP Jets beat writer, longtime beat writer Dennis Wazak in just a moment. And then in the bottom half of the hour, we are going to have uh, editor-in-chief of NYI Hockey Now. It's Mr. Stefan Rosner. He is going to talk with uh, us about Barry Trotz. He's going to talk to us about the Islanders' big summer coming up, some NHL playoffs. So we have a lot to go over, and we're going to go right into our first guest, uh, this man has been a Jets beat writer now for, what, 16 years? That's uh, an accomplishment in itself. So uh, without further ado from the Associated Press, uh, Dennis Wozak. Dennis, what's up, my man? How are you? All right, Tony. How you doing, man? You say 16. It's like 16, 17. It's just, man, it's uh, one year goes into the next. But I'll tell you what, the draft, this draft was a lot different from any of the others that I've covered. So so there's that to look at. Well, let me let me just say that that is telling. <laughs> it took 16 years <laughs> for you to be able to make that statement, pal. <laughs> well, you see, and, and the thing is, you know, you, you get – we've seen them draft quarterbacks over the years. We've seen them take cornerbacks, defensive guys, offensive The fact that they had what they – and they did what they did in this first round, that was what made it – you know, pretty wild just from from the start into, you know, the end of that first round, having three picks, trading back into the, the first round to get that third pick. And, um, yeah, I mean, there, there's some real optimism. You could feel it, you know, as the draft was going on. And then when they they traded back in, it was like, whoa, this is there's something different going on here. Oh yeah, I would say so. And it's look, it wasn't just the fact that this team had so many holes, and they, they you know, they needed they needed uh, a defensive back, they needed a wide receiver, they needed uh, an edge rusher. Uh, they just they pulled these 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 picks off with precision. And you know, honestly, they they had the opportunity to make some trades. We're going to talk about that a little bit, but they stuck to their guns. They made their picks, and they got three of their top what six or eight guys. With uh, yeah. with the, in that first round, I mean that's almost unheard of. Yeah, and and that was the thing, you know. You hear every GM across the league says, you know, hey, you know, these were the guys we wanted, you know, because what are they going to say? But in this case, that's the truth. You know, mm-hmm. these those four guys that they got in the first two rounds were guys who were in their top, on the top of their list, and um, arguably at the top of people's list in general, at their positions. You know, you, you look at Sauce Gardner at cornerback, mm-hmm. Garrett Wilson at wide receiver, Jermaine Johnson as an edge rusher, and Brees Hall at running back. It, all four of those guys ranked number one on many teams' lists. And 
They were number one on the Jets list, and they got all four. I mean, that you can't ask for more than that. If you're a fan looking at it, like you filled four needs, you know, with guys that weren't reaches at that point, you know, and and the, you know the fact that the Jets wanted to even try to get back into the first round again to get Brees Hall, and still were able to get him on the second day, and that that's pretty good. That that right there, if this all works out. That could be the turning point in the franchise and for Joe Douglas's uh, tenure here with the Jets. Oh, no question. <clears throat> and how about the fact that, you know, you get Garrett Wilson and essentially you get Jermaine Johnson based off of the two trades that he made with getting rid of a disgruntled Jamal Adams and getting rid of uh, um, Sam Donald. I mean, that, honestly, yeah. that's, that's, that's genius right there. Yeah, I mean, you, you got rid of two guys who you knew – didn't have any long-term futures here that the way it was playing out they were done so he was able to get value for it in the picks and i mean between last year's draft class and this year's draft class they now have finally a large foundation a group of players that they could see being key pieces on both sides of the ball for many years moving forward obviously this will all be contingent upon what Zach Wilson does at quarterback and if he can progress. But when you look at all of the depth pieces they have and then on top of the guys who will come in and be expected to play right away, like those first four guys that they drafted uh, you know, a few weeks ago, those guys will be counted on to be immediate contributors. So you have guys who are young, and then you'll have people who played last season – who are still young but experienced, and you have experienced depth now, especially in the secondary with some of those cornerbacks. And, Correct. Um, I mean, you have to be optimistic at this point. You know, the schedule aside, and I know that was a big thing during the week. People, a lot of Jets fans just groaned when they saw the four AFC North teams to start off the season. But mm-hmm. I mean, you have some playmakers on both sides of the ball. I mean, Correct. That's that's something to feel good about moving into you know whoever you're playing. Absolutely. And, and, you know, like, look, if it's the same old Jets team that was just going to be band-aided together and kind of thrown out there and, you know, with, with a, with a half-ass, uh, coaching staff, uh, you know, yeah, we would probably expect the same results, but you actually have guys now that can make plays and you have, you have a defense out there and you, you have an offense and you have weapons. So, I, I mean, it, it could look a little bit different. Look, I'm not expecting this team to go, you know, nine and seven, but, you know, I mean, I watched Damian Woody say that eight and nine was not out of the question. I can't say that I argue with a lot that he came up with the other night. Right. And, and here's the thing, you know, you look at those first four games, that'll tell a lot. And if they can manage to split those four games, then all of a sudden, like that optimism is there. You know, it's like, whoa, you know, a lot of people didn't expect them to win any of those games, you know, on whatever today is, you know, May 15th, um, looking at that, that schedule. But, you know, maybe, you know, who knows who the Browns quarterback will be? Will it be, mm-hmm. will it be Baker? Will it be, you know, Watson? Absolutely. Will it be suspended? I mean, who knows? Um, uh, you know, Pittsburgh, who's the quarterback there? They have, those teams have some questions too. I mean, obviously, uh, Baltimore and Cincinnati are, you know, terrific teams mm-hmm. going into this, uh, off season and then the season. But, I mean, the Jets are much improved, at least on paper, much improved. And I think there's no denying that. Now, these guys have to, like, their talent needs to come out on the field. And I think the way they've built this, this team, Joe Douglas and Robert Sala together, um, 
with the, the focus that they have. They want speed. They want, um, it, you know, you hear them say, guys who love football. These will be players that are just determined, and they don't care about this past nonsense, you know, that everybody talks about the history and all of that. You know, it, talk to some of these guys, and they said, hey, you know, we know that, you know, they haven't had a, a pass rusher in a long time, but you know what? I'm here to, to end that history. You know, I'm, I'm here to make – I think Michael Clemens, the uh, fourth rounder, said that. And so you have guys with an edge, and that's what you like, you know. So I think that's part of what he's building here. And it just took a, a couple of years for Joe Douglas to kind of, like, try to make things work and then rip it apart, get a new coach, and now you're seeing the fruits of that. Oh, definitely. And and stockpiling all these picks is definitely starting to learn to, to work for them. And then, you know, it's not just having the picks because we've seen years where, you know, we've had a whole – I mean, what, that first Mike McCagan draft, I don't think any one of those players is still in the NFL. And that was no, – the Idzik 12, you know, like mm-hmm. – <laughs> And that didn't work out well. No, it definitely didn't. But, you know, look, we, we look at these first three picks in the first round, and Gardner and Wilson and Jermaine Johnson, <clears throat> and we know what these guys can bring. We know the seasons that they've had. But to go out and to to trade up a couple of picks and get Brees Hall, which was the top-rated running back in this draft, is just a stroke of genius because now you have Hall, now you have Carter, you have two guys who can run out of the backfield, two guys who can catch the ball out of the backfield, Along with your the two tight ends that you that you signed in free agency, the guy that you drafted in the thir- in, in in Jeremy Ruckert, who probably would have had better passing numbers if Garrett Wilson wasn't on his team. So right. you look at these the, these first five picks and look at them and be like, these could all be impact players within the next you know twenty four months, eighteen months. Oh, w- without a doubt, and I think when you look at these guys. And you see the positions that they're at. The great thing about it is, okay, Sauce Gardner, he's coming in to be a number one. Yep. But they also signed DJ Reed to be a number one. Mm-hmm. So you've got a guy already who's projected to be that top corner, and you draft a guy who's also projected to be a top corner. Well, the pressure isn't on Sauce Gardner to be that number one corner. Just say he struggles a little bit early on. Well, they signed a guy who they – had you know some trust in to be that guy right you look at garrett wilson they have Corey davis you know they have elijah moore it's not all on garrett wilson to walk in and be you know savior. jamar chase right. you know they, they don't need him to be that right you know and jermaine johnson he will now compliment carl lawson same with michael clemens those guys come in they don't have to be the guy because now they're complimentary comp- complimenting other guys on the team and I mean, what a what a great position to be in. And you mentioned Rucker, like that guy. You know, who who knows what he could have done. And I think Robert Sala even talked about how um, at Iowa, um, uh, Kittle and um, uh, uh, T.J. Hawkinson mm-hmm. didn't have great numbers, until, but they had ability. And it came out as they've gone on in the pros and. He kind of sees that with Rucker, that that he has some ability, but he doesn't have to be the guy at tight end because they have Conklin and Uzama. And right. again, Brees Hall, compliment, you know, Michael Carter and, and Tevin Coleman. This is a perfectly set up situation for the Jets, and I, like I don't know that I've ever been able to say that, you know. And <laughs> will that be ten wins? No, I mean, will it be nine? 
maybe not, you know, but they have some, they have a plan. You know, Tony, I think and that's the key thing here. There's a plan. It's clear. You can see it. Yeah, no, I mean, you could definitely see it. And, and, and just, if you're out on social media, you can just see the fans who are, are energized by all of this. You know, like most, you know, we, we go every, every year Jet fans are, that's just what they look forward to. They look forward to the draft. That's their Super Bowl weekend. You know, like, <laughs> and it really is because you always have a high pick. You always, you know, and you're always ready. You know, you're always set up for disappointment. You know, it, it, it's just the only draft that I felt even remotely like this was the Parcells draft when we had the first four, the first, we had the four first round picks yep and we ended up with what pennington um uh, john ellis ellis john abraham, abraham and mangold yeah anthony beck oh anthony beck sorry but that uh, that was yeah. that, that you you came out of that draft and you're like wow you have something and then you had parcells obviously and you you had a foundation there and and they had the greatest success that they've had essentially since joe namath was here uh, during the parcell era and then, then it kind of just all faded away. But now you look at what they've done now and what Joe Douglas did last year. Okay, Elijah Vera Tucker, Kyle Wilson, Elijah Moore, Michael Carter, times two. So you look at all those guys, and now you look at the you know the crop of guys he just brought in, and now you have some excitement. And then you're looking at some of the guys. You know, we're going to get to some of the um, the free agents that they're still talking to. And you, I, I love actually watching the the uh, the draft room videos for when Salah gets on the phone with the players. Yeah. I, I love this guy. Like I love when he gets on the phone. He's he is so excited. He's more excited than the kid that just got drafted. <laughs> it's true. It's true. You know, and Gardner, he, he gets on the phone. Sauce. You it's know, a- and that became a that became a thing. You know, yeah. like it, it, it was it was out there. Yeah, you're totally right. And I think that energy. Uh, you know, players know. They see it. And, you know, it's sort of the kind of thing that, that Rex Ryan had all those years ago, especially early on. There was a different attitude, you know, and, and his was his was a brash, cocky, you know, we're not taking anything from anybody. And players came to the Jets because they wanted to play for that guy and they wanted to show everybody else, like, okay, you didn't give me a chance, I'm going to go there and we're going to win. And, and it worked for a couple of years, and the key is you need to keep winning, you know. So mm. this is this is the point now. Okay, Joe Douglas brought these players in. Robert Sala has has the locker room, you know, and, and these guys believe in him, and he's got that energy, and I think the franchise is feeding off of that energy. Mm. Now the next step is putting this all together and winning. And it's a, it, you hear it all the time. It's a process, and I think we're at that that. You know, important part that that critical stage where, okay, we need to see the next part of that progress. And again, a lot of that depends on Zach Wilson's, uh, you know, right arm and his legs, and you know, his ability to be a better quarterback in year two. I have more faith in Kyle Wilson, I think, than I had at any point in the Sam Darnold um, era. I really do, and I like Sam Darnold, but I just never saw. What I'm see, what I saw out of, out of Kyle Wilson in the second half, I think, I just feel like, you know, he kind of got everything. He was kind of starting to put things together, and uh, I, I really feel like now. I mean, look, if he doesn't do it with the group that that they're assembling with him, I, I'm not really sure that you know he's going to be able to do it. At any point, you look at what Darnold did. He went to Carolina. He had a couple of decent games in the in the beginning part of the season, and now they've basically written him off down there, and that didn't take well but 12 months. So. I think that right. at this point that we're looking at 
you know, Kyle Wilson maybe taking that second, you know, that next step, and, and that's what, obviously, the coaching staff, the front office, the ownership group, and all the fans really want to see. Right, and I think what you see is that, um, especially at the end of last season, when he had no interceptions in the last five games, mm-hmm. uh, he didn't light light up the scoreboard, his stats weren't eye-popping, but that those zeros in the interception column, those, those were big, because that showed something was starting to click. You know, that, that the game wasn't moving as quickly anymore in front of him. It was slowing down in his head mentally, and he wasn't making some of the same mistakes. Uh, you know, I'm sure there were a couple of throws in there that he got lucky, you know, with, but in the end, there were no picks in those last five games, and, and that's the kind of, um, you know, positive that you want to take out of that. Now, as you mentioned, some of the talent around him, well, they, they brought in players who can help him succeed. And that was that was really one of the flaws in the, the whole thing when Mark Sanchez was here, and they started taking pieces away right. from that offense in particular. The offensive mm-hmm. line, Sanica was gone. Remember, Thomas Jones was gone. You know, Damian Woody. Like, all of a sudden, it was like, whoa, whoa, you know, we just made it to two AFC championship games, and like now we're taking pieces away um, and not trying to help this kid succeed. Um, you know, years later, you mentioned Darnold. Same thing, but I, I think it, there was a different approach. You know, I, I, I don't know that they really surrounded him with the playmakers he needed. You know, there, there were some games uh, during the time that, that he was you know, struggling when, I mean, if you look at some of the wide receivers and tight ends, you're like, whoa, you know, a lot of that was injuries as well. But when you look at the depth in the in, on the offense now, on paper, in when you look at those wide receivers and you have you know Corey Davis and Eliza Moore and um, you know Garrett Wilson and Braxton Berrios and, and you have other guys that can, can fill in and use those running backs like the 49ers do and I think that's the plan with with mm-hmm. Lafleur's offense to kind of mix and match those guys and use Hall and Carter and use their strengths and have have them come out of the backfield and got. Two tight ends, maybe three, if um, if Ruckert you know develops and he's able to contribute immediately. I mean, all of a sudden you've got guys who could you know Wilson's not going to be running for his life. You know he he can dump it off to this guy and make have that guy make a play, have this guy make a play, throw it downfield. You've got a deep threat now in Garrett Wilson. Um, you know where it's not just Corey Davis. You know trying to you know do something there and and hoping that he catches the ball. Like now you've got some weapons. I, I think. That's what you need to do with these young quarterbacks. And, and you look at some of the teams that have done that and how, you know, obviously like Mahomes is, is just out of this world talent-wise, but, you know, he had Tyreek Hill. You know, he, he's, he had Kelsey. He's had a, a mix-and-match backfield, guys coming in that, that did different things in that backfield. And I think that works. If you surround a young quarterback with talent who's athletic and has an arm, you can have success on offense. And, and the, the blueprint was laid out there in the middle of last year when Zach Wilson was hurt and you saw what LaFleur did with the offense when Mike White came in and Josh Johnson came in and Joe Flacco, that it, it doesn't have to be all on the quarterback. You know, just use what you have around you. And that, I think that's the big message that, that you're seeing with these playmakers that, that are going to be around Zach Wilson this season. 
Yep. No, I agree with you. I mean, I don't think at any point Zach Wilson's going to say that he's seen ghosts out there. So I mean, <laughs> I think that they have they built a line in front of him, and and he's got he's got weapons. So I think that uh, you know we're gonna we're gonna see what Kyle Wilson is made of right off the bat. Um, there were a couple of trades we talked about last time we spoke that we thought were possible at the draft. Um, and AJ Brown and D- oh, Debo Samuel didn't get traded, but AJ Brown did. Um, talk a little about the trades that didn't happen, you know, because that we, we did talk um, last time about the 10th pick. They ended up taking the wide receiver and Garrett Wilson there. But is it the safer pick that they took Wilson, that they have him for the next five years? They'll, you know, he'll be under his, his rookie deal and he'll grow, he'll grow with this group. Or would it have been better to try to, you know, to, to acquire A.J. Brown or Debo Samuel? Yeah, I, you know, I think they were interested definitely in Debo Samuel. They, they you know, see him as a guy who – um, can do some things, you know, like what they hope Elijah Moore becomes, basically. You know, a guy who can get the ball from any point on the field and make a play. Mm. And I think that, um, you know, made them pause a little bit as, in terms of giving up too much because it's like, okay, you know, we have a kid who we think can be this type of player. Um, he's not anywhere near that yet, but... Um, do we want to give up a first-round pick after, you know, we weren't going to give up a first-round pick to try to get Tyreek Hill? Um, I think what you saw in that is is Joe Douglas continuing to stick to his guns in terms of, of, of what he sees as value and what he's willing to give up, that he won't be pushed over um, with deals, but he's willing to be in the mix, you know, and I, I think um, that's an important thing to see where, you know, he's not just going to um, throw a bunch of picks at a team and, you know, get a player. Um, he, he's made it clear that if it's a player that they really want, they'll try to they'll do what they can within reason to try to get him. And I, But I think in this case, the price was too high, and they love Garrett Wilson and what Wilson brings to the offense. And it's a different uh, thing that he brings that Debo Samuel would have brought to the Jets and I, I think when you look at the film of Garrett Wilson, he complements the guys that are in that wide receiving core maybe even better. You know, mm-hmm. and, and like it sounds weird to say, but um, I, I think what his skill set, it, it just plays off of what those other guys can do. Um, you know, not that it you know, wouldn't have been great to have a Debo Samuel, but I think they were confident that if Garrett Wilson was there, that he's the guy that would be a good fit and we'll draft them at ten, and we don't have to make a deal where we give up too much. Correct, and you know, and then the signing is the other thing: is how much money is it going to cost you after the fact? Yep. Um, were you surprised by the return that Tennessee got for for Brown? I mean, I was. Yeah, 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 totally. Especially when you know the te- you know, Tennessee was saying like, "Oh, you know, we're not going to deal him." You know, we're we're you know, there's Rabel saying, "Nah, he's." He's going to be on, you know, on my team. I want him on my team. And so, you know, that, that they were, I, I just, I was surprised, you know, because it didn't seem like Tennessee was going to move him and what they got and all that. It's just, it's amazing, right? Telling how, like, guys, guys will go out there on the record and just talk about how 
like a guy is here to stay. Like he's our guy, and things change, you know. And, oh, and I, I don't you know, believe Devontae any of Adams is a, is you know no longer a Packer, and mm-hmm. you know, AJ Brown is no longer a Titan, and Tyreek Hill is no longer a Chief. Like that, these things you can't depend on anything now, you know, because anything could happen, especially in this league. It's just this off season was unbelievably oh. crazy. It's crazy, and, and you know, and you can't even believe you know. There's there's no trust anymore because everything that you're being fed is just is just the company line at this point, and then they're just going to do whatever it is they're going to do. So, like that, I love when these, these these comments come out. Oh, Devontae Adams will not be traded. I, you know, we are not trading AJ Brown. And then a week later, they're wearing another uniform, having a press conference. Like, right, come right. on, you know, guys. Like, <laughs> just say we're not discussing this publicly, and that's the end of it. Like, you know, it's you know, people realize that this point that whenever you come out and say if you come out and say you're not trading somebody they're getting traded like it's it's almost like you're <laughs> right. confirming it for us right right and and you know it, this also it, it's it's a, a good reminder um for fan bases of teams that are in these um rebuilds and in these this whole process of trying to be better um things can change immediately you know, because uh, a guy is disgruntled and wants to get out. Look what happened with Jamal Adams. So mm. the Jets, although they're they're uh, you know on this path, um, they don't have a lot of time to do what they want to do. You know, with all these players, because things can happen. Guys, you know, Quinnen Williams might want out after his fifth year. You know, um, they might lose some of the other pieces. Like so, there's a finite amount of time where you can't just keep building and building and building and hoping the future because especially with the young quarterback because if Zach Wilson fails this year and then he's no good next year well you're right back to square one exactly. and you probably have a new GM and a new coach and mm-hmm. a new quarterback and we're back talking about maybe this is the future you know so it's it's an important thing to see that even the best players in the league could be gone you know with with no warning. All of a sudden, boom, they're traded, and now those teams are looking at the future. Yeah, and this offseason has taught us that, if anything. Uh, we're talking with Dennis Wazak of the uh, the AP Sports, the Jet Speed writer for the last 16 years. 16, oh, you're going in year 17 is this year? Is this 17? Let's see. Uh, Starting in 06, so 2006, right? Yeah. 2006 was my first uh, year when Mangini came in, and I've been, uh, yeah, so I think this is 17. 17. I think that makes 17. That's impressive, bro. That's really impressive. <laughs> uh, well, Rich Samini has like 30-something, I think. I know. Simini, I don't know how he does it. Samini is like, he, he's like synonymous with the, you know, with, with the, the whole team at this point. So, <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> right. you, you know, you know, you say Rich Samini, it's like, you know, he it's like he's one of the owners. You know, you just expect <laughs> him to be there. Um, so is there anything going on with these, uh, these rumors about Quan Alexander and, uh, Larry Ogun, uh, Ogunjobi? Oh, yeah. And I think, um, I think Quan Alexander is an interesting one, um, because I, I know, uh, Robert Sala likes him a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think he thinks he could be a contributor. I don't know that he, you know, maybe he's a guy who comes in and, and helps if Quincy Williams, uh, struggles, uh, you know, in his, you know, in this year, um, he's made plays in the past. You know, he's experienced. Um, I, I think that that would be a pretty good depth signing and um, a, a potential starter too. Mm-hmm. Um, Larry Ogunjobi, that guy, I think, will be a Jet. I, I feel he, he spent two days with the Jets on a visit earlier this week. 
Um, he's a run stuffer. That's something that that defensive line kind of needs because mm-hmm. of losing Foley Fadakasi, who was their, their top run stuffer. Um, and they didn't really replace him. Although Jonathan Marshall, who was drafted last year, uh, late in the draft, I think they kind of see him as a potential type, you know, Foley Fadakasi, uh, player. Um, so, but I mean, if they get Ogunjobi, he, he moves right into the starting lineup when mm-hmm. they have that type of defense and they're looking to stop the run. Um, you know, he's the perfect fit. I, I think, I think he'll be a jet at some point. Quan Alexander is probably 50 50. Um, but I, I think there's very strong interest in both of those players at this point. Anything, you see Joe doing anything else? It's, it's hard to say at this point. Um, because now you've kind of got your roster set. You know, maybe late in training camp, if somebody's shaking free or, you know, somebody's disgruntled, you know, and, and mm-hmm. you need some, some help at a position and, you know, that kind of thing. But, but I think what you kind of see now is what we'll see heading into definitely mini camp and then maybe training camp. I, I just don't, I just don't know that there are any big moves that'll happen at this point that usually it kind of quiets down at this point, and right. then teams kind of reassess um, as they get into training camp, and then they, they move through, and then injuries happen and all that. So so I, I think what what you see is what we'll, we'll get moving into training camp for the most part. That said, I wouldn't be surprised if tomorrow I wake up and they're in you know, something else because <laughs> that's the type of offseason this has been. Yes, you are absolutely correct, and and not just in 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 football, but just about everywhere. It seems that yeah, uh, yeah. the NHL offseason started. Um, <clears throat> well, it really hasn't technically started yet because they're in the playoffs right now. But you've already had one of the most surprising things happen when Barry Trotz was fired on as we last Monday. So unreal, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I know you're big eye on the guy, so uh, I think I give you a second to uh, to share your, your your thoughts and and uh, yeah. mourn a little bit for uh, for Coach Trotz. I was stunned, you know, and I guess, uh, you know, some people say, well, you know, you probably shouldn't be if you know Lou Lamarello's history Correct. with coaches, and Correct. that's true. Um, it just seemed that finally the Islanders had stability on the bench, a guy who's a proven winner, and they were going in the right direction. This year This year was tough. You know, this season was tough. There were things that went, you know, against them with COVID and the travel and all that. It's like, okay bounce back next year and now there's a lot of uncertainty and uh it's just surprising because he thought all right at least they have the coach you know they have the coach in place the guy who's going to you know lead them back and they're not too far from getting back to you know being deep in the playoffs again so when i heard that i was like whoa what what the (laughs) yeah i think i think we all felt that way dennis i'm still I'm, i'm still scratching my head but uh you know, it's this. Like you said, Lou has been has been doing this stuff. What do you fire Claude Julian with like three games left in the season when right, they were in right, first place? Exactly. <laughs> so this is not unheard of from from Lou. And uh, I guess we're going to see what happens next. But uh, listen, pal, thanks so much for coming on with us. I really appreciate it. You did a great job as always. And uh, I look forward to talking to you down the road as we get closer to training camp. You got it anytime, my man, and uh, I'm sure there will be plenty to talk about. Oh, I'm, I'm most positive of that. <laughs> Last time we spoke, I didn't think it was going to be this soon, but I just right. it was just way too much to go over, pal. No doubt, no doubt, and uh, feeling positive. It's a good thing right now. Yes, on, yes. On May 15th. I will okay, ta- yeah, I cool. will take that any day uh, when it comes <laughs> to the Jets, that's for sure. Dennis, thanks so much again. I'll talk to you soon, brother. Sounds good.
All right, take care, man. That was Dennis Wazak of the Associated Press, longtime Jets beat writer. When we come back, we're going to be talking New York Islanders hockey. We're going to try to get to the bottom of this Barry Trotz thing with Mr. Stefan Rosner. We'll be right back. WGBB Sports Talk New York. Listening to Sports Talk New York. Tune in every Sunday night at 8 p.m. on Long Island's WGBB. Broadcasting on 95.9 FM and 1240 AM. Or listen live online at WGBBradio.com. Stay connected to Sports Talk New York on WGBB by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WGBB Sports Talk. You're listening to Sports Talk New York on Long Island's WGBB. And now, back to the show. This is WGBB AM 12. Welcome back. The Rangers have just tied Game 7 with less than six minutes to go. Mika Zibanejad, who has just been... The it, well, I mean he's been fantastic in the series and they are making it interesting. So the Rangers are still at it, three three, in the third period, late in the third period. But we are now going to talk a little bit of Islanders hockey because there is a lot going on in Islanders land, and we're only a week <laughs> a week and a half after the season ended, and I don't think anybody expected us to be here. But we're going to be talking about. Uh, the Islanders and everything that's going on with them. We'll talk a little NHL playoffs, but we are going to talk now with the editor-in-chief of NYI Hockey Now, which is part of the Hockey Now Network. Uh, this is a real up-and-coming hockey writer, in my opinion, and I am glad to be able to have him on the show today. It is Mr. Stefan Rosner. Stefan, what's up, brother? How you doing? How are you, Tony? Thanks for having me. Oh, no problem, man. Thanks for coming on. I uh, love the work that you're doing now at uh, NYI Hockey uh, Now. it's uh, <clears throat> You're the editor-in-chief now. You've, uh, you were working with, uh, with uh, Christian Arnold, who's a good friend of mine, and uh, it's, you're doing great work, so uh, I appreciate your time tonight. I really do appreciate the time work. Thanks again. No, no problem. So, listen, we all got the shock of our lives last Monday. <laughs> um, I remember... Just picking my phone up and seeing the uh, Islanders PR tweet saying that the uh, you know Lou Amarillo announces and I'm like, what is he announcing? Is he announcing he's retiring? Like, what? What's, this is crazy. What, what's, so I, I hit the button and the tweet comes up and it says that Barry Trotz has been relieved of his coaching duties and I'm like, what? So yeah. uh, uh, what? What was your reaction? Because I know what social media said all the Islander fans were, but what was your reaction? Yeah, I was I was a bit stunned. I think. Um you know, we didn't get to talk to Tross or Lamarillo during the exit interviews. They said they were going to be in meetings. We talked to them at a later date. So that news is a little, you know, you know, you didn't see that coming at all. I think a lot of fans didn't see that coming. You look at how the season went. Obviously, many factors played, external factors, internal factors. Did Trotz have a tough year coaching? Yeah, he struggled at times. So did the whole team. And you thought, okay, Lamarillo decided to stand pat at the deadline. He called his players out a little bit, saying we need them to be better. And I kind of looked at this year as, all right, everyone had a bad year. You're going to bring back most of this core. And then, you know, I thought they'd give everybody a shot. So I was kind of shocked to see it happen. And obviously, we won the tight ship. So the reason why Trotz was let go, you're not really going to know. But I can guarantee that it was a bunch of reasons, not just one reason like you're seeing in the media right now. 
Yeah, and Barry had a, a tough year personally. You know, like he, he lost yeah. his he lost his mother. He had COVID himself. Uh, they had that fir- that thirteen game uh, opening road trip that uh, you know that, that it's been talked about at length, and you know the opening of the new building kind of being the guinea pig for the whole COVID uh, you know um, plan NHL plan as it was evolving right before our very eyes, right before Thanksgiving. So Barry had a tough year, you know, but Barry had some issues this year also, which I don't think he really has run into in years past. So those things happened. Uh, you had yeah. some younger players on this team that, you know, that, you, that you're looking to, you know, especially when you had injuries and guys out with COVID, you wanted to see Kiefer Bellows, you wanted to see Oliver Wallstrom get some time with Matthew Barzell, and, and that took time. And Barry took his time with that. He benched Bellows, uh, he benched um, Wallstrom a bunch of times. He sat Bellows for long stretches, and then towards the end of the year, he's, he's putting up points. And, uh, you know, I, I know Barry took a lot of criticism from the fan base at least and you know most people i think just kind of brush it off and be like yeah it's barry he'll be you know he'll be fine and you know him and lou are on the same page and that'll be the end of it but then you know kind of radio silence at the end of the year like you said and then we end up with with the announcement so i mean do you feel that that this was a disconnect between barry and the players or do you feel that just mary barry was just kind of like you know what this is maybe not the situation for me anymore yeah so Obviously, again, it's very hard to get inside the head of Lulam Merlo. He's been doing this for quite a long time. But I think just on the surface, you look at the few Mariners had. They finished 16 points out of the second wildcard spot. It was a bad year for them. And, you know, they want to take a big step this year. They have a brand-new building, back-to-back uh, semifinal appearances. We follow goal shy of going to the Stanley Cup Finals, which against Montreal, you you'd probably win. I know sports are, you know, unpredictable, but you probably win that. And I think... Lamar looks at this and goes, this is a failed season. Regardless of what happened externally, internally, this is a failed season. And I'm, I'm not sure about the disconnect between the players. Lou said he didn't talk to the players about making this decision. I mean, again, you got, you got to believe what you want to believe there. I think they had some say in it. But I think what you could look at is this system over an 82-game season, clearly, even a normal 82-game, like, I wouldn't even count this as a normal one, obviously, with mm. everything that happened. Correct. It's a hard system to play for a full 82-game season. Now, you look at the last two regular seasons – Youngers are pretty mediocre. They got in, and they played well against um, the bad teams. They struggled a little bit against the good teams, but when they got into the playoffs, they did their damage. Mm-hmm. But again, those are shortened seasons where you could play that kind of brand of hockey, that gritty defensive lockdown style. But again, over an 82-game season, especially when you look at, you know, the bread and butter of this team is their defense with transitioning, and you had a rough go of things early with this defense. You separate Pulak and Pellick because Char was struggling with Dobson. They slowly but surely figured it out, but especially when Pulak went down, the Islanders' transition game and defense was, was really lost. And again, the loss of making Letty. Not saying that you had to keep Nick Letty if you're the Islanders, but not bringing in a player of that level, a guy that could skate the puck up, move the puck, that really hurt the team. And again, that's more on Lamarillo than Trotz, but you know, just the way it all happened this year. And I think what you brought up too is the, the play of the young guys. That's something that Lamarillo brought up in his press conference when he announced that he was relieving Trotz of his duties is that he wants to see more improvement from his young guys. I mean, you look at a guy like Oliver Wallstrom, like you said, he was benched benched often, and he didn't play that many games. And I think if you look at the end of the season, Bellas might be in better standing. And you saw Bellas playing a 200-foot game, a strong brand of hockey. He was doing every the little things that, you know, puts a smile on Trotz's face, and Wallstrom wasn't doing that. And that's why Bellas was getting the playing time. Now, Wallstrom played the last handful of games, but that was because of injuries in the lineup. But when you look at, you know, Wallstrom, his average time on ice in 2020-21 uh, was 12 minutes and 23 seconds. That went down to 12 minutes and 4 seconds. You don't want to see that. And I think 
Trotz was very hard on Walsham this year, called it tough love, and Walsham appreciated that in his exit interview. But I think there were times where, you know, you want to see a young guy get a little bit of a leash because you want him to learn from his mistake. If you bench him every time he makes a mistake, he's going to get timid, he's going to be shy. I know there's a game um, towards the end of the season against Montreal Canadiens. There's right after they had been benched for a couple of games. He's in the lineup, and he looks very nervous to touch the puck. He tried to get rid of it often. And you don't want a young guy playing like that. Again, you want him to learn. And I think some of the benchings were definitely needed, some of the scratches. Walsham wasn't adapting to the system that Trotz had in place. He wasn't making the right plays, especially with Barzal. You know, with Barzal, he's going to play the puck. He's going to move around. You've got to find open space for yourself. And if you don't move that or you don't read what Barzal is doing, that line's going to struggle. Same thing with Bellows early on in the year when he got a, a couple of games with Barzal. But for, for a guy like Walsham, for players like Walsham and Barzal, I mean, the Islanders need them to come through. The offense obviously needs to be a lot better, and that starts from the veteran leadership. But, yeah, I, I would say a, a big piece of this was the young young players not improving enough. Again, Bellows had, uh, I think, one of his better years, obviously, in the NHL, but you still want to see more from them in terms of goal-wise. And, again, the whole team struggled offensively. But, yes, definitely you want to see more improvement from the young guys, especially because this team, quote-unquote, is an older team. You have Avzi Char and Green are probably not coming back. That changes the the average age there. But you want these young guys to come through. It's a league where it gets younger and younger every year. And for the Islanders, an older team, you want to see young guys come through. Absolutely, you definitely want to do that. And you know, I mean, there's been there's been whispers out there that uh, you know the players had some issues or whatnot in their in, in their exit interviews. And, and look, this is is a is a contractual thing also because Barry was heading into yeah. the last year of his deal. So you know mm-hmm. as well as I do that Lou is not going to have a lame duck coach. Uh, you know, heading his team. That's that's not going to happen. So at that point, if he's listening to what the players are saying, and look, we don't know what the players said. Okay, are yeah, the players exactly. saying that they didn't approve of how he how he dealt with the younger players? Are they uh, are, were they complaining about the fact of is that they didn't make uh, they didn't make adjustments too quick enough? Or you know, it could be a lot of different things. But Lou has got to look at it as look, we're going into the last year either of his contract. Either I have to extend him. Or I gotta let him go. So it's one of the two. So is he listening to what they had to say, looking at what he's seeing on the ice, and saying, you know what? I don't think this is sustainable. I think we need to do to go in a different direction. And that ultimately is the is the, you know, his job. That's what he's supposed to do, and that's the you know the call he's supposed to make. And he made it, and he's made it many times before. I was talking with Dennis Wazak a few minutes ago, Jet Speech writer, and he's a huge Islander fan, and he was saying the same thing. Like Lamarillo's done this thing, you know, over and over again. I mean, he fired. You know, he brought Larry Robinson in in 2001. Yeah. It was a change that he needed to make, and, and they ended up winning the cup that year. Uh, he he makes the change. He fires, uh, you know, Claude Julian. They were in first place with three games left to go into the into the playoffs. Or, or, you know, he he fired. He brought in Kevin Constantine. I think he fired Larry Robinson after they got yeah. to like the, they they did the same thing with Strats. He brought in a, a, a loudmouth, you know, kind of you know wields the, the strict kind of you know um, not not a player's coach. And it worked. It was necessary. I, I believe Mike Rupp texted, uh, you know, uh, tweeted about it the other day. So, I mean, it's it's it, in my opinion, it's got to be something that A. Lou saw and what he was hearing and saying, you know what? I, I don't think we need to, we're going to go through with this. Let's you know, let's cut bait now and, and start start new in, in September. Yeah, I think the biggest curveball that people are trying to wrap their heads around is the new voice thing, and they take that new voice thing as the players quit on trust. Now, there was maybe a couple of games where you thought. They quit. I would say the last game before the the All Star break against Seattle, a three nothing shutout game. Yeah, that, that was, was one of the worst games Trot said that he's ever been a part of, and mm. just the effort. Right. And and then at the end of the season, though, there are some games where the Islanders looked defeated and tired, but 
because they were tired. I mean, the amount of games they played in the March, which is another franchise record, right. and then April one game, game shy of that. You know, they were never going to be able to really keep it up, even though they went on a run and made it a little interesting, got themselves back in the playoff conversation ever so slightly. It was just not the same both the amount of games you have to play. And Trot spoke about that too. We're tired, we're banged up. I mean, it's, I don't think the NHL did them any, any, any help, didn't give them any help at all this season with the, you know, playing through COVID and the breaks. And this is a team where you look at the last couple of seasons, they've relied on winning streaks. And those streaks get them in. And then again, in an 82 game season, when you can't get into a rhythm and you can't play often, you can't find your game. And it just, everything pretty much went downhill after that first COVID outbreak and that led to 11 game losing streak. And again, that was just a big hole. But I think when you look at in terms of a new voice, I think definitely players voiced their opinions about the system. I don't think they complained about Trotz's leadership. I mean, we saw it yeah, after I, every I game. The guy's a well-respected guy in the room. I mean, everyone talks glowing. And again, no one's going to throw their coach under the bus. But I think you look at Trotz's system, it really doesn't work in a full 82-game season as we've seen. And I think players, some players wanted, you know, a little more leeway. I'm a not little more freedom. The team needs an offensive style because I don't think, quite frankly, they have the skill to be an offensive team. Their, their strength is their defense. And yes, they might have to add, they have to add a couple of pieces, definitely a top four defenseman if they can. They gotta still play a defensive brand of hockey. So I don't think the system's going to change whoever the coach is that crazily, but at the end of the day, Trot's system didn't work. I think Glamorell saw that, saw some players he has, like a Barzal, where, you know, maybe a looser system will help benefit him, or pretty much for a lot of guys in these lineups. I mean, I look at two players, I look at, you know, Pajot and Palmieri. Pajot came from a running gun offense in Ottawa playing top-line minutes, Palmieri on a, on a struggling team for the Devils, but he's still playing a more offensive game. They come here, but now they're, they're groomed to play just defensive style of hockey. That's not to say they can't score. We saw what Palmieri did in the second half, Tazo towards the end of the season. They, they can still put the puck in the net, but there's so many guys in this roster that now have geared their game to playing that two-way game, to focusing on defense. Brock Nelson, even Adam Pellett, not that if he makes this an offensive system, Pellett's going to become a, a bad defenseman, but when you play a little looser structure-wise, the defense could take a little bit of a hit. So I think the Islanders, whoever Lemonel decides to bring in, is still going to have to play to their strength and their defense. Agreed. And that kind of goes right into my next uh, my next question, which is, after listening to Lou's press conference, what does it mean yeah. for guys like Bavillier and Bailey and Varlamov? Like, these are guys who are, you know, that are into their deals and they have some value around the NHL. I mean, there's going to be teams in the you know, there's going to be teams that are going to want to switch up their goaltending. Um, yeah. and you know, you look at a guy like Pavilion. I, I love this kid. I love the way he, I, I love how hard he plays, but he is just not, con- he has not shown the consistency that I think that this team needs to see. And, and he, you know, he's on a, on a decent contract and I think he has some value. So I, I mean, I think that that's a, a loop move that they, that teams are going to look at. And then looking at what Bailey has done in the playoffs over the last two years, he has value too, even though, and because his deal is coming to an end. So, is there are these the kind of guys that should we be looking at that may be possibly moved out? Um, and then to go even further, the Islanders have the 13th pick at the draft in July. Is that is that a pick that, that Lou ends up making, or is that package in a deal for a, a player like a Jacob Chikorin or you know, or a guy like uh, you know, or a Kevin Fiala maybe? Yeah, when, when you look at the Islanders' window and it's still open, but you know, two to three years, you look at this team. It's, it's not a young team. Going to the draft, we'll start with the draft first. I feel like for me. Draft picks are very overrated when you're a team that wants to win. Because when you can trade the pick with a package, let's say Bavilia and a pick, or someone else, and get a guy like a chicken or another defenseman, 
those guys have already said they could play at the NHL level. And you need players that could play. Unless you have, like, a top two pick as a McDavid or a Matthews where they're going to come into your lineup and help you right now, yeah, then keep it. But if you're trying to win now, I have no problem getting rid of a pick in a package deal because, again, that player, whoever you pick, probably a couple of years away from playing, and they're not proven. So rather get the proven player. But I'll start with the goaltending. And, you know, we spoke to Varlamov during his exit interview, and he was very adamant that he wanted to stay through the deadline. He wants to stay and play out the remainder of his contract. And, again, that's $5 million you can get off the books. But we're looking at all the injuries to goalies. And you've seen it in the playoffs as well. Having two goalies that you can rely on, again, I think, obviously, Sorokin deserves to play more. He, he should be the starter. He's a game-breaker every time he's in there. But having Varlamov as your backup, it's not too shabby, and that you have that tandem there. And you see a lot of teams rely on that tandem. Only very few teams have one goalie that could play the majority of games this season and play at that premier level, like of Vasilevsky. But, you know, you look at that, it's $9 million for two goalies. I wouldn't move Arlamov at this point. I, again, I, I think that you can't have Arlamov splitting time at Sorokin. you got to let Sorokin shine. We, I even asked Arlamov, I said, how has it been to, you know, mentor him? You know, how has it, it, that whole experience been like? And he goes, yeah, we're done with that. He does not need mentoring at all. He's ready to go. And I think having that confidence from Varlama right into Sorokin, I think shows, again, like, yes, he could be a mentor and a leader for Sorokin, but Sorokin's ready to take this, this team and, and be that number one guy. But I think with all the injuries, you've you got to keep Varlamov unless a team gives you, again, Lemerell said that he's going to make trades that will benefit his club. He could have probably moved Varlamov, and there was, you know, I heard some things at the deadline that teams, had offered a first-round draft to Varlamov, and Lamarill didn't budge. And Lamarill could have. He decided not to. And I think that shows that there's value in Varlamov. He said, Lamarill said at the deadline, that, you know, the mentoring of, of Sorokin, but also having two, having two goalies. And I think unless you get an offer that you can't, you know, you can't refuse, I would keep him again. Just because if you get rid of Varlamov and you bring in um, a, a backup, a low-level guy, and Sorokin gets hurt. I mean, that role of a guy is not going to be better than Varlamov. And Varlamov had a bad year, a tough year. He had everything going wrong. He didn't have, he had, you know, an issue in the offseason with an injury. He wasn't ready for training camp. He missed um, the first start of the, of the game. I think seven or eight games he missed. He comes in, struggles. Again, he gets COVID. I mean, everything went wrong. Pretty much everything that went wrong for the Islanders this season went wrong for Varlamov. And he, he finished it off with a great performance to end his season. So I would definitely keep Varlamov. As for Bavillier, I pick him as my – he's my most disappointing player this season. And just because, again, there is so much potential with this guy. I agreed. Still a young kid, and I think in a league where it's speed and skill, you can never have enough of that. And he has the speed, and he's got the skill. I mean, we saw a couple years ago, even in the playoffs, this is a guy when, let's say he's taking the puck up the ring and it's a one first three. He'll dump the puck in, he'll chase it down, he'll get the puck, he'll get the puck to a teammate and make a play for himself. And we just didn't see enough of that creativity from him this year mm. where his speed was on hand. The same thing with a guy like Barzal. When there's games where players like that are invisible, that's not good because let's say you don't score. They don't make up, uh, you know, set up their teammates to score. Their feet should be moving every time they're out on the ice, and that should make them dangerous in itself, let alone not scoring. And the problem was when Bavilli had chances to bury, he would miss the net high and wide. And, of course, you know that clutch goal he scored in overtime yep. against the Lightning. That was an incredible, incredible shot, incredible goal there. But we just aren't seeing the game-breaker that Pavilion definitely can be. On a consistent basis. On a consistent yes, basis. There's no, is not enough consistency there. Exactly. And this team, their offense, they can't afford to have guys like that miss those chances. Again, we talked about Josh 32. There were a lot of times this year 
Um, he's got him a bad rep. I don't think it's fair completely what Josh Gray's got him. But there's times this year when there's a wide open net, and he passes it off and misses the net. And oh, I think with Dean, too, is, again, respect the guy. He seems like a great guy. Nothing on him. But there were a lot of times where I saw him make rookie mistakes, passing the puck to the slot or in front. Like, the mistakes that you really can't be making. Mm-hmm. So I think with Bavillier, again, I would have, I mean, again, you have to prove yourself at the NHL level, and he hasn't been consistent enough. And he's young, and that means he has value. And his contract's pretty good. So could he be involved in a deal for a chicken with the draft pick? He could be. But, again, you know, Lemmer will put the players on notice with this Trotz firing. And when Trotz first came here, he, he spoke about this a lot, too, especially when he spoke about Nelson. He didn't know many of the guys besides playing against them. He spoke to every player on the phone. It was a fresh you know, slate for all these players. It didn't matter what they did before. Trotz wanted to get to know them. He said, okay, you got to prove yourself to me. Right. Now, could I see Lamarillo saying the same thing whoever comes in? If it's a brand-new coach that doesn't know the system, doesn't know the players well, can they give one more year and try to figure that out and see that? Sure. But, again, if you're trying to make hockey trades that will make you better and Bavillier is one of those names that team wants for you to get a top-four defenseman or even a, a stronger forward, a more consistent financial forward, you got to make that play. And for Josh Bailey, I think what helps the Islanders, he has nothing on his contract, not a no movement, no, no ten teams. They can move him. Now, Lamarillo is a very loyal guy. And obviously, he didn't draft Bailey, wasn't here for Bailey, but Bailey's the longest tenured Islander. He's going to hit a 1,000 games this season with the Islanders. If he plays, mm-hmm. would Lamarillo keep him? And, you know, again, I think one of the bigger issues is Josh Bailey was playing, you know, top six minutes. If you get a, a, a better forward, let's say you keep Bo, but you still find a way to uh, improve your offensive group, can Josh Bailey be playing on, you know, the third line? I think that's not, that's not a terrible idea. That's a deeper team. I think less pressure on him. I think there's a lot of pressure on Bailey, especially with how the season was going. To be that leader, because again, we know what he could do in the playoffs. And that playoff experience gives him value. It's just, again, his contract's not great, and he's a leader, and Trotz talked about, you know, the highest IQ of a player he's ever had. So there's, there's things that he does that we don't see. And that's for a lot of players, too, especially in a system like this. Those little details that, you know, not everyone's seeing, that's very valuable. And if and if Lamarillo thinks that Baby could still provide that, sure. But I think if you could find a way to move him and his contract off the books, I mean, it's only going to help you get players in the offseason. So I think if they could do that, they should definitely do that. It just depends pretty much where, what Lamar, who Lamarillo brings in as the coach and where you see certain players. Because if you think Lavoie could bounce back after a year you have with the right line mates, because, again, Chuck jumbled his line, then keep him. He's young. He just got speed, but... The time's ticking from the village. Right. I agree with you. I agree with you. <clears throat> We're talking to Stefan Rosser from NYIHockeyNow.com. Uh, last question I got for you because we're going to be wrapping it up, but yep. we got a whole list of replacements here. A lot of names have been thrown around yeah. there. I read an article the other day from Kevin Kurz about uh, about Mike Babcock, Babcock, and I have to yep. think that after re- – I mean, I, it was in the front, forefront of my mind before that because of Toronto, but after reading that article, I have to think that it, during that press conference that that is the guy that he had in his head. I mean, you, what do you think? Yeah, so right off the bat, I reached out to a couple of people, and two names that you know came back was Paul Maurice in Winnipeg, who stepped aside this season because he believed his Winnipeg Jets needed a new voice. So mm-hmm. he stepped aside. Could he be a replacement? Maybe. And John Torello was another one. Obviously, everyone knows about him, and he's an analyst with ESPN. He's had some comments about talent. But I read Kevin Curtis's piece. Kevin Curtis, great guy. Everyone should definitely follow him. It made a lot of sense. And again, like I said, Lamarillo is a very loyal guy. And... Lamarillo had him in Toronto, and Mike Babcock said once Lamarillo was let go, he knew he was getting fired. 
And he said during the whole thing where, if you guys remember, he had an issue with Mitch Marner where he took the young player in the locker and made him call up his veteran players. And right. the way he handled that, it obviously wasn't a good look. And, right. and Babcock did say, you know, I called Lou. That was the first time I called Lou. He walked me through how to handle this. So that would definitely be a guy they could bring in here. And, and again, people are going to have their viewpoints on coaches and how they handle themselves. But, if I mean, that's a waste of fall. Bringing a guy like that, Mike Babcock, he's not going to take you know what from any of the players. He's right. going to get them going. Mm-hmm. I feel like any coach would bring in the wake up call. You don't, and I also believe you don't fire a future Hall of Fame head coach without a plan. This search and these candidates that are up for, I think Lamar really has a decision in mind. I think and, so too. I agree with you, and I think that Babcock is that guy because he's literally has the same resume or the same type of resume that Barry Trotz has. Only he has yeah. the app. He's the absolute opposite of what Barry Trotz is. He is not a very player-friendly coach. He's a guy who's going to come in and wield that power, and he's going to do what he has to do when he walks into that room. Stefan, yeah, I can't sure. I can't thank you enough for uh, for coming on oh, with I us. We're going to be uh, wrapping this up. But listen, man, we're going to talk a lot more down the road. We're going to have July coming up. We're going to have a big draft. Uh, we're going to have you know free agency, and I think that this is going to be this is going to be something that's going to go through the whole season. So. Uh, thanks so much for joining us, and uh, you know, keep doing what you're doing out there. I'll just let everybody know where they can find you on Twitter. Yep, you can follow me at, at Stefan, S-T-E-F-E-N, underscore R-O-S-N-E-R. Tony, thank you so much. Appreciate the kind words, and look forward to talking to you soon. Yeah, can't wait to see you again, pal, and uh, we'll talk down the road. Sounds good. Have a good one. You too. That was Stefan Rosner from NYIHockeyNow.com. We are going to wrap this show up tonight. I want to thank Mr. Brian Graves on the other side of the glass. We had we want to thank both of our guests, Stefan Rosner and from Dennis Wozak from the AP Sports. I will be back with you next month. Everybody enjoy. we got Game 7 going. It's an overtime. They're going to be starting overtime soon. Enjoy your night. Have a good one. Views expressed in the previous program did not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB.